1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 26, that's our text tonight, verses 26 through 40. Good to be together. Finish our uh, series, our short series on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. Started this because uh, there's a rather large controversy in the greater Christian community right now <clears throat> regarding the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, there's always been a tenuous peace between uh, cessationists and continuationists. Cessationist is a person who believes that certain gifts of the Spirit have ceased, hence cessation. Uh, continuationists like us who believe that all of the gifts are um, applicable and, uh, and possible to the church, and uh, we don't see any of the gifts ceasing. We just need to exercise them properly. And uh, lately, certain cessationists have really taken aim at uh, continuationists and are calling us names even and stuff like that. And so uh, we want to just go through the words, see what the Bible says. That's what we've been doing. And we're coming to really Paul's conclusion of this matter where we get to apply it and see how it all comes together. So a couple of questions I usually ask at the beginning of this study. Uh, if you feel prompted to speak in tongues in a meeting of the church, should you? Or if you feel prompted to prophesy in a meeting of the church, should you? And we can definitely and unequivocally with all authority say, maybe. Maybe you should speak in tongues or prophesy. Maybe you shouldn't. And that's not double talk. It depends upon the meeting and your understanding of certain principles for the order of service that are clearly outlined in the remainder, uh, remainder, the remainder of 1 Corinthians 14. I can't move my stand and talk at the same time, so... We're going to see that there should always be order within the public services of the church. You can't have order unless you first understand and agree that Christians can keep their speaking, including tongues and prophecy, under control. The word control almost sounds unspiritual to people. I mean, if the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you, is it really biblical to keep such gifted speaking under control? Won't you quench the Holy Spirit if you keep silent. This is the, what we believe is the myth of uh, hyper-Pentecostalism, and that is that if the Holy Spirit is moving or uh, expressing Himself or manifesting Himself, however you want to put that, that you must lose control and He uh, forces you to do uh, crazy things. It's really kind of sad. It's almost like a form of possession. Uh, I mean, Christians act like they're spirit-possessed for a few minutes. And, and, and I've talked to people before, so I, I couldn't help myself. Well, drop down to verse 32 for a minute. This is a very important verse. Paul says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Let's read the New International Version's translation of verse 32. There it says, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So they use the C word, the control word. Occasionally, you'll hear someone reference the Amplified Bible. It's a translation that uses explanatory alternative readings and amplifications to assist us in understanding what Scripture uh, really means by what it is saying. Multiple English word equivalents to each key Hebrew and Greek word clarify and amplify meanings that may otherwise have been concealed by a traditional translation method. So here's that verse again, 1 Corinthians 14, 32, in the amplified version. He says, for the spirits of the prophets the speakers in tongues, are under the speaker's control and subject to being silenced as may be necessary. 
And so the conclusion we come to from reading just the word itself is that the same Holy Spirit who prompts you to speak in tongues or to prophesy or to do anything else for that matter inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words telling you that you must always keep his supernatural promptings to speak under control. And so the Spirit who's going to manifest himself, who's going to prompt you, who's going to gift you, tells you before you get any of those promptings or gifts to manifest, you're going to control these so that everyone can be edified and built up and blessed. And that's just, you know, where you would say, period. That's the end of the matter. There's nothing more to say about this area of control. And so when somebody hears that and they say, well, brother, you don't understand. When the Spirit's moving, what? He disobeys himself. He contradicts himself. He told you to be under control. But when he's really moving, then you have to throw that out. And, and this is why cessationists are so agitated about continuationists because so often uh, those who believe in the gifts of the Spirit do not exercise them in a biblical way or an orderly way. Knowing we can control our speaking, we can embrace the principles for order within the public services of the church. And that's what this final section is about, beginning in verse 26. Paul says, how is it then, brethren? So if you've been here for most of the studies or all of them, chapter 12, 13 into chapter 14, he's been mounting arguments about tongues and prophecy and the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. And now he says, okay, so how does that all look when we come together? He says, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Different types of meetings of the church are described in the book of Acts. We get a lot of our understanding of what it means to be a church, to gather together as the church from the book of Acts. And there's many different types of meetings. There were prayer meetings. There was a teaching that lasted all night. There were leadership meetings. And there was a church council. We also know that there were regular uh, Sunday morning or Sunday evening church services. The different meetings had different emphases. Different things happened at different meetings. Uh, in the meetings we're talking about tonight and that Paul is talking about, it seems everyone is given the opportunity to participate. They can sing, they can teach, they can speak in tongues, they can interpret tongues, they can prophesy. Paul added a quick reminder that all things be done for edification with the goal of building up others. And so uh, we should always come to church, to a meeting of the church, thinking that we want to be used to help others, to build up others, to minister to others. And in doing so, we will find that the Lord will minister to us. Uh, but especially if there's going to be a meeting where uh, it gets opened up to prayer or just sharing or however you want to put that, whether you call it an afterglow or a gift shop or just a believer's meeting, especially then we want to make sure that we're in a posture to want to build others up. Now, there are principles of order regarding how you are to conduct yourself at such a meeting. Paul starts with speaking in tongues in verses 27 and 28. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. 
Now, the gift of tongues is therefore controllable. You can't read this and think anything else other than that. Paul says this is how the exercise of the gift of tongues happens. Uh, here are the basic principles governing the public exercise of the gift of speaking in tongues. He says, let there be two or at the most three. Speaking in tongues should not dominate a meeting. Two or three people might be allowed to speak in tongues to the whole group, and that's all. Each in turn, there is to be no multiple speaking or singing in tongues. Only one person at a time should be exercising the gift of tongues. And then he says, let one interpret. If there's no interpreter, keep silent. So you must be concerned with there being an interpretation of the utterance in tongues since uninterpreted tongues cannot edify others. If, for example, there's an utterance in tongues that goes uninterpreted, that's a pretty good indication that there should be no further exercise of the gift in that meeting. And so how is this practice? What, what does this really look like? You're in a church service or a meeting. The leader of the meeting indicates to you whether or not it would be appropriate to have a time of prayer and praise during which the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues could be exercised, along with other gifts of the Spirit. We dealt with this, I think, last week or a couple of weeks ago, talked about our philosophy of different meetings of the church and, and the fact that uh, we don't have any problem here thinking that we can do something completely different on a Sunday morning than we do on a Wednesday night and still believe that we're being led by the Lord and manifesting gifts of the Spirit, but we can have a tighter, greater control over a Sunday morning meeting if that's what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And so on Sunday morning, we don't have a time where we open it up to tongues and prophecy, uh, but on Wednesday night, we do. And so uh, you, you should wait for that instruction. And by the way, if, you're, if, you're, if you ever visit a church or, or when you go to other churches, uh, be courteous and figure out what they do before you do what we do. Uh, it, it always, I don't know what the word is, I guess it's different depending on my mood that particular day, but it's always astonishing to me when people come for the very first time to our church on a Sunday morning and feel like they need to kind of take over our worship uh, by making themselves a lot more exuberant than anybody else in the building. Uh, and I guess they feel like they're teaching us how to worship since we're so dead. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but if we talk to them about it, uh, then there's a battle. Uh, and so just, you know, I, I think it's okay for the, the leaders of the church to determine what's going to happen at a meeting. So you're in a meeting where gifts of the Spirit are allowed or encouraged. As the group prays and praises, maybe you're prompted to speak in tongues. You might already know someone there has the gift of interpretation. If so, you can be somewhat comfortable in speaking or singing in tongues because you think, well, I feel God's prompting and I know so-and-so has been used in that way before. I'm told that they have been. And so, uh, uh, you know, it's all systems go. They said you could do it, I feel like doing it, and it seems like it could be interpreted. What if you're not sure if someone there has the gift of interpretation? Well, you might simply share with the leader of the group you feel God prompting you to speak in tongues. 
Perhaps he knows if someone is there who can interpret, or he might feel that God wants to give someone the gift of interpretation as they hear the tongue being spoken, and he'll instruct you what to do. Now, this goes against the grain of hyper-Pentecostalism as well, because the hyper-Pentecostal feels like, I can't ask any questions like that. If I'm prompted to speak in tongues, I have to just do it. If I stop and ask, can I do it, then the Holy Spirit is going to, you know, he's going to get scared away. And, and we treat the Holy Spirit as if he's very sensitive to these things, that if you, if you, you know, if you pause just a little bit too long, he's going to be frightened away. That's not true. And this brings up an interesting point that is rarely considered. God may genuinely prompt you to speak or sing in tongues. You obey God following the kind of procedures I've just outlined, and then there's no interpretation. What happened? Well, I think it's possible God wasn't really prompting you at all, but it's more possible, just as possible, that there was someone there with the interpretation, but that they lacked the faith to share it. And that's one thing, if somebody speaks in tongues, they've done something, they've gone out, you know, on the faith limb, and they've said, okay, I felt the prompting to do this, I've done it. We have no idea if someone has a, the interpretation and just doesn't have the courage, the faith to, to speak it out. And sadly, what I've seen in almost every meeting I've ever been in where someone spoke in tongues and there was no interpretation, the leader felt compelled to say, well, since there was no interpretation, your speaking in tongues was out of order. Well, I'll tell you, that's just not true. I mean, it's not logically true. All you can say is that there was no interpretation. And so what, we, so what I get from that is, I'm in a, you know, we're in our gift shop, we know that it's allowed, God's prompting me to speak in my prayer language, I do it, there's no interpretation following, so if someone else is prompted, they should probably just not speak in tongues because there was no interpretation of the first tongue. And then if no interpretation comes, what I would say is, well, look, I really feel like somebody here probably has the interpretation. And I try and explain what that means and how we could elicit that. And then if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Now, if you came every week to the meeting and spoke in tongues and it was never interpreted, then we might start to have a, a different conversation where we would take you aside privately and say, hey, maybe we should, you know, wait until, you know, somebody really says that they've received this gift because it seems like we're not getting anywhere. But that, that's, it's all kind of a fluid thing. So you see how this is a dynamic process. It's not all cut and dry, but it can be done with mercy and in grace and with encouragement. These principles of control allow interpreted tongues to be a gift that edifies others. Paul, next turns your attention to the gift of prophecy. How is this practiced? Again, you're in a small group meeting of believers. The leader of the meeting indicates to you whether or not it would be appropriate to have a time of prayer and praise during which certain gifts of the Spirit are exercised, like prophecy. As the group prays and praises, you receive a word of prophecy. Then there are principles for the exercise of that gift. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. Prophets is shorthand for people having the gift of prophecy. There are no prophets in the classic understanding of the term, it no longer exists as an office in the church. Two or three simply means prophecy should not be allowed to dominate the meeting. All of the gifts are for edification and there should, no, uh, should be no overemphasis on any one particular gift. Then verse 29 goes on, says, let the others judge. 
Now, when someone speaks what they believe to be a word of prophecy, the believers in the group must judge its accuracy according to God's already revealed word. I mean, the person says, hey, I'm speaking for God, and this is what I think God is saying. Now, you're in great shape if, you, uh, if your word of prophecy is a verse from the Bible, uh, because then there's, you don't need to judge it. It's already there. Uh, if you have a vision or you bring a dream that you've had, you say, hey, I'm just throwing this out there. I think this is from the Lord. Uh, then we can analyze that. There are those people who just say, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying this, and they give a word. That's something we need to be a little bit more careful with, but only to the point that we say, hey, did anything you said disagree with the revealed word of God? Because again, God will not contradict himself. And who is this person that's bringing it? Is, is it a Christian? Do we know this person? Are they part of the fellowship? You'd be surprised. It doesn't happen too much here in Hanford because we're small, but in larger churches, down in Southern California, there are people who kind of travel around to different churches and prophesy, uh, and, and they're unknown to the leadership of the church. They just kind of take advantage of meetings where they, they spout out different prophecies, and usually they're not really the kind of thing that God would say. Uh, they contradict His Word. And so there is a, uh, a, um, a responsibility to judge both the content of the words themselves and the character of the individual who's bringing it. Um, so, then I would recommend we stop and discuss the prophecy right then and there, write it down at least while it's fresh, take it seriously from the beginning, and don't take it to heart until you have examined it thoroughly. Verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Now, first, this statement seems like a contradiction. It almost seems like saying you should interrupt the first person if you suddenly receive a prophecy. But I think what Paul means is he just said, let two or three prophets speak, and I think what he's, all, he's doing is putting a reasonable time limit on each person. Some people have a tendency to ramble on and on. They would prophesy or pray, for that matter, just too long, dominating a meeting. And so the, I think what he's getting at is, hey, remember that you're not the only person there. There could be two or three prophecies or several people who want to pray some of you have probably been at prayer meetings where maybe one person just goes off, you know, for like 15 minutes. Uh, D.L. Moody, one time, uh, the great American evangelist <clears throat> in uh, Chicago, uh, he was uh, holding a prayer meeting and uh, there was a person who just wouldn't stop praying. And so he just got up and said, hey, we're going to move on into the fellowship hall now uh, while this brother finishes his prayer. And they all just got up and left, you know. And so, so, I mean, it's sad, but that's the dynamic. Sometimes people just, they like to dominate. So Paul's saying, hey, realize that you're not the only person who God wants to use uh, and, and be courteous in the meeting. When Paul says in verse 31 all can prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Uh, he, he's not saying everybody can and should have the gift because in chapter 12, you learn that not everyone does. In addition, he just limited the exercise of the gift to several instances per meeting. He's simply saying that all of the people who do have this gift at the meeting could exercise it in an orderly way, one after another, allowing time for each to exercise their gift. Verse 32, spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When the Holy Spirit is truly the source of your gifts, there will be peace and not confusion. 
Peace is achieved through controlling your gifts according to the principle set forth and especially to the overall principle that your gifts should be only always exercised in ways that build up others. As in all the churches, Paul said, in our day this means Pentecostal churches as well as conservative churches. No one is exempt or has any other leading of the Holy Spirit. These are his principles governing his gifts. This is how things are to be done. Now, there was another problem in the meetings at Corinth that involved the out-of-control behavior of certain women. Uh, Verse 34 and 5, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, we know that women were allowed to speak in the meetings, because in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul referred to women praying and prophesying in meetings. So Paul must be talking about a kind of speaking, not all speaking. Do you follow that? So when he says, don't let women speak, it doesn't mean they can't pray or prophesy or have input in the meeting that we're talking about. It says that, so there's a type of speaking that we're talking about. So what was he talking about? Well, if you think about the words, you might come to the conclusion that certain married women are interrupting the public services by speaking out of turn. And apparently it involved asking questions. And since Paul related it to being submissive, I take it to mean they were questioning authority. They were thus exhibiting a shameful lack of proper submission to God and to their husbands. Uh, I, I would expand this and say that all of us, women or men, should bring our general speaking under control In another place, Paul urged Christians to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 3.15. Public conduct is deteriorating. Years ago, if a person cussed, they didn't do so around women and kids. Now women and kids cuss, and no one seems to care about it. Have you been to a movie lately? People are rude, interruptive, and belligerent. It's just part of our culture. Even though we are very casual in our services, we ought to know how to conduct ourselves in the public meetings of the church because we're here to build others up and we should speak to them in ways that are appropriate for doing so. We're here to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see people saved. Uh, And and so we we want to have a proper decorum, you might say. There's more we can say about this, but it's not really our subject other than Paul is in the vein of, hey, if you're going to speak at all, speak in a way that promotes unity, love, that's gracious and merciful, uh, and that can minister to people. Paul summarized his thoughts on controlling yourself in public, uh, starting in verse 36. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. We are not at liberty to develop our own principles regarding the exercise of the gifts as if the Word of God came originally from us. Regardless your background and experience with the exercise of gifts, control must be acknowledged and followed. If you have seen or even personally experienced something different, then you must bring your tradition into alignment with the teaching here in this chapter. Read the Gospels and watch Jesus as he exercises the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Acts and see the gifts in operation. There are none of the weird, out-of-control excesses you see in churches today. The one church that was acting out of control, the church at Corinth, 
was asked to come under control. So a lot of things you see on television or you maybe see in certain church meetings, that is not what you see being practiced in the first century church, which I would argue was as spirit-filled as you get in terms of turning the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, uh, you know, even where it says that they received the Holy Spirit and they all spoke in tongues, um, you know, there was an order to it. There's no indication that they were falling backwards, running around rooms, losing control. Uh, and so, you know, it's very, very important that we get this. Verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. I would add that the gifts, all of them, were in operation, and they ought still to be in operation, and we must make allowance for their exercise. Uh, not all the time, not at every meeting, but uh, the, the body of Christ needs the opportunity to at least be able to do them. Uh, and um, we talked earlier, the very beginning of our studies, there, I don't know if you, uh, we don't, it sounds uh, so fantastic to say this. I was going to say, I don't know if you believe me, but not because you wouldn't, but it sounds fantastic to say this, but there is no biblical argument, there's no argument from the Bible itself that any of the gifts should cease until Jesus Christ returns. That's the clear teaching of 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 12, 13, and 14. All of the arguments are extra-biblical. They're appeals to history. They're appeals to logic. They're uh, appeals to observation. Uh, but there, and I've quoted some scholars who say, hey, there is no biblical reason. Even some cessationists say there's really not a biblical reason, but here's why we believe that the gifts have ceased. And so this verse is really powerful which says, do not forbid to speak with tongues. Paul says to the church at large, he says, hey, get this under control, but on the other hand, don't forbid it. Sometimes people ask me, why do we talk so much about this? What do we care about this? I said, well, you know, my life would be a lot easier if I never had to talk about the gift of tongues ever again. And we could just dismiss it, except that Paul the Apostle says, don't forbid people from speaking in tongues. And in fact, you should have meetings where at least it's encouraged. And, you know, I plan to stand before the Lord one day and, and give an accounting for the things that he said to do. And I, you know, I, I, I want to be able to say, I, Lord, I did not forbid anybody to speak in tongues. Uh, you know, I, I wanted your gifts to be exercised the way you wanted them to be. Control does not equal quenching. You do not quench the Holy Spirit when you remain under control. You obey the Holy Spirit by remaining under control. And you set him free to minister. Amen?